This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. Tommy, we took a little break there past week, but we're back again. Just didn't get to it, everything else going on. And I turned 40. Vacation, turned 40, vacation. We need to celebrate that. It just didn't, so. just didn't happen. We had this idea ready to go. We yeah, just yeah. didn't do it. Yeah. So. Then, then, I, then I panicked about turning 40. It happens. It happens. And then, uh, you know, and then we kind of put it to the side and here we are again. But anyway. All right, Tom. So uh, what do we got today? Well, today we're going to be looking at a um, topic that there's always in the news. You always see them. People always want to help people get sucked into these things. So we're looking at like basically cults today, some of these more infamous cults that came up, particularly in America, but I guess we can talk about some other ones too here and there. Um, any one of these cults can be a podcast. I'm sure the art podcast just on cults, right? Yeah, probably podcast. like multi-episode about just Multi-episodes just mention. on yeah. one of these that we're talking about. Again, that's not what we do here. It's kind of just like a, like a quick draw on a, on a, on a bunch of them. But um, yes, yeah, so we'll be looking at some of these cults, like why people get sucked into them, what these cults did. Um, some of them are still going on today, like they still exist. Um, some have famous members, some are you probably heard of, some you might not have heard of, but they're all actually took place and they all um, make you just scratch your head a little bit. Right, like just doing this research, I think I'm going to le- like use the term cult a little less loosely. You know what I mean? Like, because I'm always like, yeah. oh my God, you're like, you guys are such a cult, like stop it. But like now that I like I've done some research about this, I'm like, you know, I'm not going to use that term anymore. Like, uh, I'm going to reserve that because this is pretty intense stuff. And I mean, I guess the first thing we could kind of get out of the way is you know, why do people join cults, right? So like, I started, that's what kind of got me doing this yeah. research. I mean, I looked at the cults and then I was like, all right, why would someone want to join this? So then I started doing research in that and I haven't taught sociology before and you've taught sociology as well. I mean, we do a whole unit on cults. So I kind of went back to my own notes, like why, what would make someone do this? And there's a, there's a few common threads that draw people towards these, um, towards cults, period. But the main three are, um, one is they want to better themselves, right? It's either yeah. professionally or personally, there's a certain need or desire to better oneself. And a lot of these cults typically market themselves as organization that promotes self-betterment in some way, shape or form. It's going to promise you enlightenment and make your you're gonna get You're going to get what you're missing in life, basically. That's exactly. Trying to yep. portray them. Yep. And the second uh, reason why a lot of people join cults is because they want a greater sense of community. So it's almost like you feel like you don't belong to anything. You want close relationships. Like you need that hu- that human need to belong to something. And, you know, a lot of times when people have a lot of friends and have a really good, I guess, social life, a lot of times they don't actually join cults. It's, it's more the person that struggles with making friends. And it's kind of makes them a member of something, makes them, um, you know, feel like they, they belong. Uh, and the last one that sociologists believe, or you know, the last, last reason for people to join cults uh, is usually that they join them in a state of extreme vulnerability. Things are just not going well in their life, right? Personal life, life goals are just not working. The timing plays a role. It's almost the idea, like usually people that try to get out of cults, because there are psychologists that actually like help people leave cults. And they say usually what it comes down to is these people say that like I was just at a bad place in my life, like things were not going well for me. And, you know, maybe like a death of a loved one or a career blunder or change, anything along those lines. And so these are the main three reasons why people join cults. And uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about um, just a couple of me and how they yeah, a few cults, I guess, pulled some people in. And then again, some of them survived and some didn't. 
Well, uh, which one do you want to get started? I mean, we're not going to go in any particular order. This is not chronological anyway, shape or form. I mean, uh, as you know, for those of you guys who listen to our podcast, Tom and I do our research separately. We don't talk about this until we click record. So this is actually the first time we're having this conversation. But Tom, you want to you want to get us going on one? Well, yeah, I guess the one that people think There's about so right when they think about oh, so many, but the one that they hear about a lot, the one that's like out there and everything would probably be the People's Temple, right? That's probably like the one famous. Well, they're all famous. I'm infamous, I guess you would infamous, say. The People's right. Temple, infamous, which actually lasted from what fifty-five to seventy-eight. So they were around quite a bit. And this is the one I'm sure you people have heard of whenever you hear the saying like "Don't drink the Kool Aid." Yeah, that's actually like a, that's actually a saying in like language, right? They're talking about because of what happened in 1978 with the uh, People's Temple. Um, it was basically founded by Jim Jones, right, in Indiana, mm-hmm. in 1955. And it was really like a progressive organization at, full, at first. So they were saying, you know, we, should, we need civil rights. Let's have uh, homes to protect mentally ill people and elderly people. It was the idea of they were going to create this perfect utopian society. And things change. And that's, all, that's how they get a lot of people to join up real fast, mm-hmm. is having this purposeful utopian society. And in 65, he moved, he moved them to um, Redwood Valley in California. Because this was, he believed this would be a great place to survive a nuclear war. He yep. was like, you see a lot of these during the 50s and 60s. That, that's their main thing. Like, we're going to survive a nuclear war. We're the peaceful ones. So if you want to be peaceful, you're against nuclear weapons. You want to survive the coming nuclear war. This is what you do. And they always have their leader that's very charismatic, which is what Jim Jones basically was. Right, Pete? Yeah. And most of them are. I mean, the yeah, one thing I, I don't know if you – like when you start reading this, he was – pretending to do these like fake healings on people yeah. mm-hmm. uh in the 50s right and what he would do is he would plant these people in the audience and he would like heal them in front of everyone and they would go through these convulsions and then what would happen is they would like spit out like chicken livers um out of their mouths that they had in their mouth and it was like they were spitting out like the the evil the, the, and or some sickness the, out of their body the and sickness, blood just yeah. came out and then people were like oh my gosh like look that's an organ that they just got out like he got it out of them but like it, it obviously wasn't it was like chicken liver and but then yeah, you know things don't work out for him right in the uh, redwood valley in california well no so because there's a lot of media scrutiny right yep. and it's a lot of like and it's also not as easy to set up this agricultural community that he wants there you understand like these things work on a very small level but as it gets bigger yeah then they're not going to work so then they had believed in 78 they moved to um guyana jonestown to guyana they had around 900 people at this time and um this is where they're going to be and everything everything's perfect here but then a couple disillusioned people started tipping off the american media that listen this is still not safe they actually have a lot of guns in there they're yep. doing rehearsals of how how to kill people and at this time jim jones is also getting if you have this bunch of documentaries on it you can see interviews and stuff he seems definitely unhinged at the stuff from like 75 yep. on much more family members of people in this cult write to their congressman. So in 1978, Congressman Leo Ryan actually travels to Jonestown along with three journalists and a um, defector. They, were, they all go there and, um, you know, everything seems fine there. Jim Jones kind of invites him in. That's kind of like, look, see, everything's fine. There's no issues here. But while Leo Ryan is there, apparently a bunch of um, people start passing notes to him saying, we want to get out. We want to leave. We don't know how to leave. How can, can you help yep. us leave? So he says he's going to take these people with them. And as they're leaving, they are shot and killed. The, the journalist and a congressman, a U.S. congressman, is shot and killed by Jones's men. So yep. Jones, no, this is it. Like this, Once this congressman doesn't get back, doesn't report back, they're going to, the FBI is going to come here. Like They're going to send you know, the U.S. Army or whatever. That's what he's telling his people. He and that's when followers. he goes into the whole, like, all right, let's go back and uh, drink this beverage. Yeah, the cyanide laced drinks. Apparently, and apparently, they weren't even just drinking it. They had also had they were injecting people who were refusing to drink it. Um, yep. So over nine hundred nine people actually died from. And when they wind up getting there, you know, you can see these horrible pictures online. It's just 
They just walk in a compound. There's just dead bodies everywhere. Yeah, it was over 900 people. They said it, it until 9-11, it was the largest loss of American civilian life in um, in history, in American history, was actually because of this cult. Um, just surreal. I mean, there's a bunch of documentaries. Um, oh, that's surprising. There's one yeah, on Hulu, I think. Truth and Lies, Jonestown, Paradise Lost is a Hulu one. You know, most of the things we are actually talking about today, there are documentaries for. But People's oh, Temple sorry. is definitely a very popular one. I think just to get it out of the way, too, because obviously, like, it, this has to be here, is the, the Manson family, right? I mean, again, I'm just kind of, yeah, getting this out of the way. I mean, he's synonymous with cult leader. Like when you said Charles Manson, it's synonymous with it, right? Um, so he started his group, the Manson family, or sometimes just referred to as the family, uh, started his group in San Francisco in 1967. Um, he eventually moved to L.A. later that year. And then he tried and failed to initially establish himself as a musician. Like that was that was Charles Manson's big thing. So he became obsessed with the Beatles song, right? Selter Skelter, yes, right? Yes, yes. And he started using a term to describe a race war that he believed would usher in this apocalypse. And, and this, his idea of this race war was that blacks and whites were going to have this war. And ultimately, uh, the African-Americans were going to succeed over the white people and win in this race war. But when they do that, they would lose so many people. And this is like the racist craziness of, of his thought as well, that they would not actually have anyone that would be capable of leading them. So they would need more white people to lead them. So he would, you know, him and his followers would then come out from hiding after this race war was over. And then he would lead this new nation and this new world order of African-American people. Um, and then in August 1969, he sends a group of his followers to a house in Benedict Canyon, California, and he basically tells them to kill everyone inside. But I think the reason why he became such a big deal, I mean, obviously heinous crimes, but it's because of who he kills, right? I mean, he winds up in killing an up-and-coming actress, Sharon Tate, who was pregnant. And the way that they kill her, her, his followers, is they actually go in and like cut her stomach to make sure they also kill the baby, which is gruesome, yeah. say the least. She was also married to uh, Roman Polanski before his whole scandal thing. And he was a very known uh, director at the time. And there was also a celebrity hairdresser that was, that I was killed. And actually, um, Jack Nichols, uh, Nicholson was supposed to be at that party. He just wasn't. Last minute change. So things would have been a little different, right, in the Hollywood world. Yeah. Uh, the next night, his followers wind up murdering uh, Rosemary Lino LaBianca in their home in um, Los Feliz. So like this kind of continues until they're caught. He told them that by making these, by doing these murders, by killing these people, they would kickstart the Selter Skelter concept, right? Ultimately, some other people believe that because Sharon Tate's house was once uh, owned by a music producer that refused to give him a record deal, they think that he still thought, that's, yeah, yeah that was that, a thing. That's, that's why he sent him in there, right? And those girls were, were brainwashed. Like that was part of the yeah. trial later on. They said, "Listen, you know, there's been talk about releasing a couple of them. They've always, they've always uh, refused bail." He said, listen, I was brainwashed. Like, yes. I was brainwashed by, you know, I was manipulated. I was young. I was brainwashed by, by Manson. And they were like, well, you're still responsible for your actions. Yep. Because it was such a heinous crime, obviously. But that was, that he was died not that long ago in jail. Um, he died not that long ago. I think, I think some of the, the women are still alive, but I know a couple of them did die in well, jail. Well, yeah, they were, they were much younger than him, too. They were, yeah. they were like upper teens, early 20s. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he winds up going to jail. Um, he dies in, I think, 2017. I don't have it in front of me, but I want to say 2017. He's like in his 80s. Uh, also, obviously, dozens of books, films, documentaries about this guy. It's like, you know, like, that's why when I say cult, you often think like Charles Manson. Like, that's the one that pops up the most. Oh, without a doubt, yeah. So what are some other ones that we could kind of go uh, to? The one that I saw that was 
really disturbing that I, I I've heard of not that much about was the um, children of God cult. Mm-hmm. This one gets a little, um, they're all disturbing, but this one is particularly disturbing. Yeah. Like, I, I, I think it's funny. We should have probably started at the beginning. Like, like this, this, this one, yeah, disclaimer. We're a little late with the disclaimer. We're, you know, but anyway, some of these are very graphic in nature. I mean, they, they talk about, and we're not going to get um, into know, those details, but we, yeah, yeah, but they well, do talk about assault, sexual assault. They talk about yeah. you know some of these deal with rape, some of the uh, yes. obviously suicide and and so on and so forth. So you know, again, uh, for those younger listeners, uh, we're only about fifteen minutes late, but here is our disclaimer. Boom. Yeah, especially this one. Like obviously, the other ones are brutal that we talked about, but this one um, deals. Yeah, it gets well, intense. It gets intense. So it was initially known as the Teams of Christ. And it was found mm-hmm. in 1968 by a preacher by the name of David Berg in Huntington Beach, California. Mm-hmm. And what he was doing, he was bringing in runaways, like hippies, people who didn't have like a, a home at the time. Mm-hmm. And he would preach a kind of worship that combined Jesus along with that free move, the free life movement, right? Free love movement of the 60s. So he gave, um, they would kind of live together in these isolated communities where they're all pillars on, on the Children of God church. So they were not all in one place. They're all over the place, actually. Yeah, some actually, they, they say around the world even, right? Yeah, around the world. There are over 15,000 people, which again, yeah. it's like, right, you said the whole world 15,000 people, these are 15,000 people dedicated to this David Berg guy, right? Whatever he wanted to do. And um, they didn't work or go to school or anything like that, all right? And the Children of God, they didn't believe in a nuclear family, like right? the, the father, the mother, or whatever it would be, like the parents and the children. So the children were all grouped together and which and they lived separate from their parents. So after, you know, the child was born, they would then, you know, be taken away and raised in these like communal. They weren't raised with their parents directly. They usually knew who their parents were biologically, but they were not seen as like these are just your kids. It's like everybody's kids. Yeah. And then in the late seventies is when they became notorious for um, Berg, who actually had his own daughters. They would send they did something known as religious prostitution. They basically would go out and um, send women out. And try to bring men into the cult by bribing them with money, you know, drugs and sex and stuff like that. Being promoted and encouraged, eventually he also they do that also with children. And that was a big thing that was happening with them is that they were they practiced uh, pedophilia. Wakan Phoenix, Rose McGowan, they both yeah. grew up in these communities. They left many years before, but um, they talk about it. And I can read some of the interviews, and so I think they're in the documentary and stuff. Um, so that starts happening in the 70s. They start sexualizing children. In the 90s, it really starts It, it really starts to become um, more intense. Yep, yep. So that there was this guy who went on a talk show in 93, and he revealed that he was ordered to um, rape a 10-year-old by Berg. And uh, it's just like, it just gets really just crazy with things of that nature, and it gets really intense. Again, there's documentaries on that talk about this. Well, because Berg lot, died in 94, right? That's pretty much, yeah. And, while he was under FBI investigation, but this yeah. was happening obviously in the 60s and 70s, 80s, and the early 90s when it started coming out more in the public. People started hearing about this more. A lot of people left and started talking about it because a lot of these people started um, killing themselves. And some of these high profile people um, were you know, coming out against this, what was going on here, like Ricky Rodriguez, who um, was abused in his life by his father in the group. And then Berg dies in 91. The cult still exists today. Um, it's no longer called the Children of God. Now it's called the Family International. And they said, listen, all the other stuff that, that died with Berg. We don't do that anymore. It's still more about just like, you know, Beliefs. they don't believe yeah. in nuclear family, but it's more just like, you know, the peace, love and happiness and let's all be together. So I don't know, you know, again, they say they don't do that sort of stuff anymore. Obviously, no one's going to come out and say that that's something that they're doing, but I'm sure they're being investigated and things like that. But that, that one was just like, if you watch like the YouTube, like just the trailers. 
A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read. On, on this one. Um, oh, yeah. It, it's disturbing. Because they they yeah, even like, passed out like, like pamphlets in um, discussing his teachings and why it wasn't important what he's doing was okay it's just it's just really just... it's intense like it's intense again it, it yeah. like just researching it makes you really yeah. makes you like kind of depressed so hopefully we're not making you guys depressed but yeah you know it's it is pretty depressing uh, another one that i that kind of pops up a lot when you start looking this up is heaven's gate yes right that. so it's 1970s uh marshall applewhite and bonnie nettles nettles i think yes um, they came to believe that there were uh, the two witnesses that were referenced in chapter 11th of the book of Revelation. So they they started preaching right, and gaining followers, mostly in California and Oregon. And they started preaching these apocalyptic prophecies, how the world's going to end, but salvation would come. Except they believed that the salvation would actually come in a form of a spaceship. Like that was their whole thing. There was like a science fiction aspect to it. And the idea is that while the spaceship was going to come with from with salvation, their bodies would be kept in a cocoon state. Um, so that way they could be transformed to heaven. You know, as long as they're like specially prepared for this transformation from Earth through the spaceship into heaven. So the group was known as the Human Individual Metamorphosis. Later, it became Total Overcomers Anonymous and then eventually became Heaven's Gate um, in the 1990s. Um, yeah, before the that, actually, they were they were they were living underground. And like Walter Cronkite actually reported on them. Yep. And like the no, no, just, and stuff like that. Yep. So this was around for a long time. People just thought, all right, these these people. I'm sorry to interrupt you, that people. No, they, go, they, go. Live on the, they live underground, right? They were saying they they had all these yep. like underground tunnels that they dug out. You know, fancy. They lived in there, and um, they but they are best well known for what happened in 1997, which is what we'll get to. But they were Tritera, uh, spacecraft. Yep. That was going to come and take them, and they were gonna, they were they weren't dying. They were going to the next level. That's what they believed yep. was going to happen. Yeah. So they were like preparing for the journey, almost, right? Yeah basically to perfect themselves for the salvation or this journey through the spacecraft. Uh, they encourage members, so Applewhite and Nettles, like they encourage members to kind of detach themselves from emotion. And, and yeah, some of it was like families. Yeah. Yeah. Don't yeah, disregard your families. Stop having sex entirely. Like almost become like not human, you know, like take away all the things that made him human. Um, they also like dressed in this like loose clothing and uh, had shaved hair. Um, it was actually, actually a very exclusive or inclusive, whichever you want to look at it, um, group. It was it was only about 60 people, very much away from the public. In 1993 to 1995, this is where it becomes kind of a deal, right? Internet becomes kind of known in the early 90s. So the message of this group uh, gained some popularity because of the fact that we now have the internet. So they set up a website to try to spread their message. And then apparently in 1997, the hale comet was approaching close to Earth, and there was a rumor that suggested that a UFO was following it. So they believed that that was indeed the case. So the group took the rumor very seriously and became convinced that their salvation had finally come. So they prepped themselves in March of 1997, where all 39 remaining members um, were found in a mass suicide in preparation for their transition to heaven. But it was also interesting how they were, how they did it, right? So there was, I think it was 38 or 39 followers, but 39, the suicide was they took... Then they put apple took sauce. a it was applesauce right they put the apple um, sauce yeah. yeah sedative with vodka 
their heads were covered in plastic bags. They covered, um, they're all dressed the same. Yep. Right? It was black, Nike black shoes, tunics, yep. Nike shoes, black tunics. And like this, um, they were all covered with this, um, it's like a, like a tarp, like, tar- like a little blanket. Yep. It was like or purple. Yeah, so they're all be covered this and yeah. And, and oh, and right five dollars and se- all of them had five dollars yeah, and seventy five cents in their pockets. Yeah, and there was an upbeat video message made of them right before the suicide. You know, saying, "Listen, we're all willing and happy. You know, we're not dying. We're moving on. We're shedding our earthly bodies and transcending into this spacecraft that's right behind the uh, the comet right behind the comet. And you know, we're dying on the next level. I remember people seeing this, and then like, I actually remember you know we were alive during this time, little teenagers, I guess, right? Yeah. Pre-teens. I remember seeing it on like yeah preteens. I remember seeing this on Saturday Night Live, like them like joking about it. like Will Ferrell actually was being Marshall Applewhite, and saying like okay look we're on we're on the spaceship and he's like these little aliens around them. So like hey guys see you know we're fine like I said you know and then you had like the guy from like Dan Rather talking to them and be like oh yeah what about the castration? He was like oh yeah that's um that was my bad that was my mistake we didn't need to do that you know so they're kind of making light of it yeah you know like but and I remember get, reading about it later on there was some backlash rightfully from the families but you know listen my father and my aunt my friend whatever he they you know he he was part of this cult and he committed suicide now you're joking about it on uh sign that live yeah because you know, again they wore like nikes like well all this stuff but they're wearing nikes and stuff like that like it was just one of those things it was seeing the footage was was very different i guess you could say because again it was pre-internet but it was a little bit of internet going around so it was it was flowing you could get a lot of stories about it uh, and again, they're still around today, by the way. Their website is still uh, is still going. It still goes live. Yeah, they're so, still uh, there. Yeah, yeah, they're still it's there. Still a thing. Um, which one you want to hit up next? I mean, again, there's there's quite a few. The most, well, I, I guess, kind of recently in the news, right? Nexum. Nexum is the most recent, I would say. Uh, you want to talk about Absolutely. that one a little bit? Well, yeah, it's uh, just this one is also in the news because of the people that it includes. It that includes is, Hollywood yeah. actresses, and yeah. it, you know, it's kind of. Uh, it's an interesting one to say the least because you think that like this doesn't happen anymore, but it still does. Um, so started by Keith. Uh, what's how do you pronounce his name? Rainier. 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 Rainier right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he started it in 1998, and it started as a self-help organization. So the idea yeah. was to have workshops and classes on like self-empowerment. Empowerment. Yep. That's why. That's why you appeal to so many like young actors and actresses because it was all about yeah. like getting. You know, empowerment, the, yeah, self help. You know, like so you could achieve your dreams. A lot of like professionals and like yep. people who worked on Wall Street, they computer computer engineers, Silicon Valley. They're all they were at least a lot of them joined it, but a lot of them too just at least went to a couple of his classes. Yeah, you know, well, without even realizing at first what it was. Yeah, what it was. And, yeah, a lot of them like, yeah. and some were like, oh, this is kind of sketching the left. But other ones get more sucked in. Obviously. Yeah. So more than eighteen thousand followers in North America alone until twenty seventeen, and um, you know the idea was eventually what started happening is people started talking about it and it became a big deal and it's still in use today. I mean, this is very recent, but essentially women were recruited under the false pretense that they were joining the sisterhood of sorts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it actually wound up being a sex cult. So there was like a pyramid scheme that existed within this whole group uh, with this Rainier guy. And there was members that were called the Vanguard or like the top masters. And they would go out and try to recruit other women to these sec- secretive groups. And then the newest recruits were referred to simply as slaves. Um, and in order to be admitted to the secret club, you had to like give the master some compromising documents, whether they were photos or anything else like those matters. So that you could be blackmailed. That would blackmail. Yeah, they could be blackmailed. They would, they would be like, you know, if you're going to speak out against this or expose, everyone, expose anything in the group, we have these pictures that we're going to send out. Which were willingly group. given, by the way, to, yeah. to, yeah, to, to said, join the group. Again, they were like, well, I'm never going to – these people were like, well, I'm never going to leave this. So it makes yeah. sense. At this point, they were ready. They were – 
they were in. Nuts. They were also branded. Like each woman was actually yeah. branded with uh, apparently his um, initials. Like what they would like what they would do to cattle. If people are wondering, they Which would is, burn this onto you. So in 2020, this starts to come out. In 2020, Renier is tried in court. Uh, more than a dozen women come forward with statements that regard you know regarding psychological but also sexual abuse and. He's convicted of many crimes, including self, uh, sex trafficking, racketeering, child pornography, because some of the victims were as young as 15 years old. Um, he is sentenced to life in prison. Again, this is all happening during like the COVID thing, so people don't really remember as much. But again, it just happened. And his lawyers actually said that he's not really sorry at all. He's not really sorry for his conduct or his choices. Which, but it, again, there's some people that are, there's some actresses. There's an actress from uh, Smallville that was part of like his recruitment. Yeah, she's probably, she's probably the most famous one. There's come up with other members. If you watch the um, HBO documentary, I think it was called like The Vow, mm-hmm. where they kind of um, talk about it and they show her on it, the actress who played um, Chloe Sullivan. Yeah. Um, and then there's actually, I think a couple of the other actors and stuff were actually on it. Or went to a couple of classes. They're like, yeah, no, we're good. But they didn't actually join the whole thing. Yeah. And uh, but he talked to. I remember afterwards watching. I was a big Smallville fan, so that's why I'm. Uh, yeah. I've seen. Oh man, that's crazy. Like, what is this? Crazy. What is what happened? But then like, you watch like the, like some of the other like Michael Rosenbaum and Tom Welling, some of the people from Smallville, like talk about her. Like you would never have known it. Like she was. She talked about next to him here and there, but not that much to them. Yeah. You know? It was more of I guess because she knew like they, they weren't going to go for it, but I guess but like it just. No, it's just one of those things. And like they said, you know, she was always very happy upbeat. She talked about it, how much it helped her. And they were like, oh, good for you. Good for you. That's awesome. You know, because again, it was seen as one of these self-helps and anything else. And you hear about all these things that were happening. And like you said, Rainer, he's not sorry. He's like, what? I didn't do anything wrong. Everything that happened, these these women did willingly. Yep. So yep. they're just like, no, it doesn't work like that. Like, yeah, you know, they no, were brainwashed. It's, you know, there's ways to have people think that they're doing it willingly when actually they're not, you know? All right, let's get to yeah. the next one then. Um, what do you, uh, what do you got for... Uh... Again, let's do another one that I remember um, somewhat. I mean, I was 11 when this, a lot of this stuff happened, but I remember talking about her in school and stuff like that, and that was the um, Branch Davidians. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you saw this one. Right? I saw this one, yep. Uh, this is actually what I remember. I go, let's do this podcast. So I remember the, the Branch Davidians um, with David Koresh. And it was basically, this one is famous, and it actually spawned a lot of, it, this is what the, the siege in Waco, Texas, is what spawned the um, Timothy McVeigh and the Oklahoma City bombings. And a lot of yep. these conspiracy theories, like, oh, you know, this the, conspiracy theorists use this as an example of the government, you know, taking over your lives, basically. And David Koresh um, and the Branch of they had a compound in Waco, Texas, um, where Koresh said was, you know, what he said was law. He basically said he was a messiah, right? He was spoken mm-hmm. to by God and he assured his followers that God was willing to um, guide him. And uh, he, he was also having um, relations with young women, all right? Yep. And um, even though he was reportedly telling people that celibacy was enforced among the men in the cult and uh, all earthly marriages were annulled, right? You can only marry other people and all women in the cult belonged to him. And he would yep, let there were know, his spiritual wives. They were his he spiritual said, wives. You know, again, he's still, like a lot of the other ones saying how an apocalypse is coming and stuff like that. And he has to prepare for Armageddon. And um, they basically were founded decades before Koresh ever became leader. He didn't start it. He just kind of like took it to the next level. And one thing that they were doing that got them in trouble, got the eye on them and the government, is they were selling guns. They would go to these gun shows. It was in Texas. And that's how they made a lot of money was by selling guns and all these guns. And the FBI was like, you know, we got this cult leader. He's definitely getting more fanatical. And now he's got a lot of guns. And that's what all they basically wanted them to stop with the guns. And that's what all everything came to a head in February of 1993 when the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco Arms, ATF, wanted a, a, a warrant to search the compound because of all these illegal weapons. 
And yeah, it, it led to a, thing. what, 51-day standoff? 51-day standoff when they're basically saying, you know, and the video's like, we're not coming out. You know, people would come out and they would be like, listen, we don't have no guns here and stuff like that. Just leave us alone. And the raid lasts for 51 days. And then there was some fire back and forth. But what basically happened is that the um, ATF eventually comes in. Janet Reno, remember her from like the Clinton yeah. scandal and stuff like that. She orders tanks in. And they, they order using flash grenades and they, the building gets caught on fire. A lot of them wondering how that happened. They think it was throwing a flash grenade into a room that was freshly painted under over some paint cans and that spread the mm-hmm. fire. All the, all the people say that they, the ATF set the fire on purpose. Others say the Grinch Vivian set the fire on purpose and they engulfed the compound. And then 77 people died. Some of them were children. And they found a crash right in there. He was actually shot himself in the head, right? They said that yeah, they found his body. Yeah. And it didn't end the Davidians. They still exist. They built a church right on that same spot, and they continue to worship there. Because remember, they were around even before him. I don't know if they. I don't know if they're still selling weapons and stuff like that. That's how they make their money anymore. But um, it was very similar to the other things. Like you've given up. Once you're part of it, you have no outside connection to anyone else in your life. But that was mm-hmm. one that you can still see on TV. Everything that happened. Then there's the Japanese one. What, what, how do you pronounce this one? Master Shin. Yeah, well, right. yeah, the master. Uh, that, well, that was the master, but it was um, Shinrikyo, I believe. Shinrikyo. Yeah, Shinrikyo. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's do a um, Shinrikyo. It formed in, sorry, 1987. It was a Japanese cult. They, they called the master, right? Um, yes. Shinrikyo. Um, originally started a yoga school, but after, then he went to India and he met the Dalai Lama and he like achieved this enlightenment and, you know, in the early 80s. And he came back and basically created this new school where he started teaching the combination of Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity. And he basically got a lot of followers and he, by claiming to embody God and he wound up securing, like most of these things, winds up securing a lot of wealthy financial donors. Yeah, they would give but, all their money to him. Yep. So then eventually what happens is this group becomes very radical and whenever someone tried to defect from the group, they would be found dead. Like that was the, the issue. It's like people would just die. Well, everyone who even spoke out against the group, right? There was a lawyer. Would, they would just die. And then so that's kind of how the police got involved in all this. They're like, what? Why? What? What? What's all these deaths about? Then, yeah, at uh, first, the police were just like, um, uh, were just go. like, yeah, they were just like, this guy's crazy, whatever. Like they just, they kind of just told him as like a joke because they were talking about things like they wanted to make. Uh, we're going to make space lasers. We're going to have tanks, and we're going to make these like death rays and stuff like that. And they're like, yeah, okay, fine. You know, like a lot of people, yeah. like people would leave the cult some some people and they would like tell the police police like this they're not gonna make space lasers like we're not worried about that's not actually gonna happen it was interesting though like in order for him to further get the police like deflect the police attention away from his group's activities he came up with this idea that he was going to um orchestrate like an attack like a terrorist attack on tokyo subway but then it won't be blamed on him that was the idea like that yeah. was going to deflect the police attention but actually it focus is, on that instead of him yeah, yeah exactly and, and what it what it does though however is the complete opposite the police figures out it's him that did this uh, orchestrated this attack well didn't they get it was a it was a crazy attack like don't 12 people died it injured more than 50 people yeah. so that it was sarin gas and what they did was they filled these balloons basically up with this gas and they put these balloons on a subway, and then the guy was going to walk by with a like um, umbrella, and that was going like, to release yep. puncture, and that's going to release all the gas. I think some people did it, some people didn't. Like it didn't, it didn't happen as originally as as bad as I mean, it, they killed bad, twelve people, it, it killed 12 but people, over five thousand were, were really sick. Yeah, it was like sick, like, like sick, sick. It isn't just you know it burned their eyes a little bit. It was, it, it was horrible. A lot of people were very injured from this. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those. It just luckily it could have been much worse, but. The people carrying it out, they didn't really practice it. It wasn't like well planned. It was like this is what you're gonna do, you know? Yep. 
No, the authorities find them very quickly and basically arrest the leadership and dismantle the group. So it kind of ceased to exist. But um, it's one of those like more international ones that oftentimes we don't really talk about that much in the United States. Yeah, but it's one of them. He thought he was, was going to like, everyone's going to die in a third world war started by the US and then he, him and his followers would take over the world. That was basically what it was going to be. There was also the um, Angels Landing. That's a freaky one, too. Uh, it's the name of a 20-acre compound outside of Wichita, Kansas. So Luke Castro and a small group of people lived um, in this like extravagant life in the early 2000s. And people were kind of getting a little like, wait, where's this guy coming with all this money from? Like his followers, and they have all this money on this 20-acre compound. Um, but Castro's followers were convinced that he was an angel. He was over 1,000 years old and that he could he was like a seer angel and he could look into the future and know when the people were going to die and he kind of got people to join this thing and it's like i know when you're going to die and blah 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 but ultimately because his compound was so wealthy law enforcement started like really taking an active interest in it because they're like okay like why where does this guy have all this money from and then yeah. police really got involved when patricia hughes was a member of angels landing community and she tragically turns up dead on the compound in 2003. Then and the you husband know, dies. Yeah, the husband yeah, because dies. her husband's like talking about it, like, ah, oh, something's fishy. And then boom, the husband dies in a freak accident three years later, right? And that's yeah. when you have detectives are like, all right, like we need to start looking into who's living on this angel's landing. Um, and what basically they figured out is that whoever's part of this cult, what Castro is, he would have expensive life insurance policies that would be taking at, taken out on these people that were in his circle. And what he would do, he, they, you know, him and his cult, they would cash in um, by the members when someone in the makeshift family like accidentally died, right? So if someone died, they would cash in. That's how they had all this money. And basically every two and two and a half years, they would kill someone off and then collect the money and just live off of it. But what's interesting is they couldn't really catch this Castro guy. I know is that he was eventually arrested by the FBI, aggravated identity theft because that wasn't really him, fraudulent use of social security card number. And then uh, that's what it was. They found out his name is Daniel Perez. Daniel Perez, yes. And basically he was had sex crimes against some girls, 11 and 14. Yep. And then he fled Texas and did everything, accusing Perez of the abuse, pointing to the murder of Patricia Hughes. And he was eventually charged with 28 felonies and yep. serving 80 uh, years in prison. 80 year, 80 years in prison. Yes, it also just like a lot of some of the ones I guess we can talk about. Obviously, again, there's many, many other ones. Maybe we'll come back and hit up some other ones one day if people uh, are interested. I'm, in I'm, more I'm like, I don't want to say like this, but I know it's interesting. I mean, I, I, there's so many TV shows out there just on like cults, right? I feel like TV every cults. single one of these that like we looked at has. They have their own podcast, many, many episode podcasts to them. Yeah, like I said, we're just here to kind of like start them off a little bit, you know, like see which right. ones interest you, see which ones, you know, not not to join. I'm not saying join them. I'm just saying which ones interest you as far as like sucked into these things, you know, uh, why they did what they did, why they believed what they believed. These are some of the stories about the ones that have been around for the past, I guess, 50 years or so. Yep. Uh, also, the term cult, um, just, you know, looking into this, um, sociologists don't really like to use the, the term cult anymore. Uh, it's almost like a, it's not PC as much anymore. And now a lot of them, like officially they're referred to as NRMs, which are new religious movements, because a lot of them have some form of, something to do with a, a form of spirituality or, or, or some way, shape, or form. Yeah, well, I think because a lot of that goes with what we were talking about before, is that these horrible, like Jonestown, heaven, they're, they're all known as cults. So people just hear a cult and they already have like this, Negative. predisposition almost yeah. like murder like bad yeah. die they go you're all you're all going to commit suicide or you're going to you're going to yeah. try to take over the world or something like that you know 
Yeah, so like the end, you know, officially speaking, um, these cults, aka NRMs or new religious movements, um, they're characterized by strict demands on the lifestyle of the members, uh, you know, giving up possessions, professions, whatever. Um, charismatic authoritarian leaders that follow that they have some, you know, people follow, they believe they have some special powers. Um, and is usually some form of imminent apocalypse happening. Like those are the main things that, you know, if you're like, Hey, am I part of a court cult? Like, you know, look into whether, uh, you have some of these, uh, three <laughs> components and, uh, you might, you might get nervous for a second there, but yeah. So, uh, I guess this concludes our episode on, on our episode on infamous cults. So, um, yeah, there you go. that's that. There you go. So if you guys ever need to contact us, p- please feel free to do so. You could find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. We're always here to answer any questions or listen to any suggestions you guys may have. Um, so again, thank you so much for tuning in guys. And, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts.